0: chapter 4. Of course, the teenagers are dismissed. You guys can head on back to the youth room. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, there is an app. I don't know if you are on this. We need more social media. I'm, you know, we're always saying stuff like that, right? Uh, but um, there's an app called Be real I don't know. Anybody in here on Be real Okay. Anybody else on Be real uh, Two, three, okay. Uh, B-Real just went off. So what it is, is Be B-Real, when it goes off, you're supposed to take a picture that time of day. So take my picture and your picture at the same time. And so on the count of three, I want you to smile and wave. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> All right. You know, we we really what we need is uh, we need more devices to control our lives. And so that's what that is. But anyway, oh, Sabrin, you got that. Awesome. So uh, you are now saved in the history of my b Rule account but thank you for that um great worship set uh just uh i love hearing you guys sing i like hearing them sing too but i hear all them all the time uh all those kids on the stage are mine either biologically or adopted um two of them are mine biologically but uh good kids just across the board and and i love to hear y'all worship together it blesses my heart and uh jesus is everything to me. He's the object of my affection, and um, he re- I really do stand in awe of the goodness of God. And uh, that last song says it. that uh, and, and we don't want to lose the wonder of that. You know how, how easily we get used to stuff? <laughs> I mean, think about that. We, we're, we're highly adaptive as creatures, and, um, you know, it, even this is new. In the first week, it felt new. This week, I feel like, you know, you guys are just, you know, old crazy cousins I ain't seen in a while. <laughs> And, uh, but really, I don't even want to lose the, the awe and the wonder of what the Lord is is doing here. And I do stand in awe of that. And uh, I stand in awe of the Lord, and I stand in awe of uh, just how His Spirit works in the hearts of His people. And so, uh, thank you for being sensitive to the Lord, and uh, for letting God work. And I'm telling you, this is unprecedented, what we're able to do on Wednesday nights. This is so much bigger than any one of us, that two churches from slightly different backgrounds can uh, can get together. But, but listen, we get together on the common denominator that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's our hope, he's our redemption, and uh, and, and he's ultimately why we'll spend eternity together. So I figure if we're going to live together in heaven forever, we might as well hang out a little bit down here. And uh, I think it's awesome. I'm I'm totally in awe of what the Lord is doing. So, um, so I'm going to try to. We've been in a min, mini series within a series. So this is actually a study of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs um, can feel disjointed. If you just read through the Proverbs and you're seeking context, oftentimes it's going to shift gears quite frequently, and then it'll circle back to a, you know, a common subject, and then it'll switch gears again. And and so it's, um, you know, for a guy that puts such an emphasis on context, if you hear me teach or preach very often, um, you'll hear me make statements frequently, like anything out of context is a pretext, and that's true. You've, you've got to take Scripture within its context, and if we, if we pluck Scripture out of context, context we're really just what we call proof texting we're just trying to find we're trying to find bible to back up Really, our personal pet peeves in all, in many cases. Um, when in reality, the scripture needs to speak for itself, and we le- need to let the word of God alter our direction, and, and not allow our direction or perceptions to alter the word of God. And so, but but that being said, in the book of Proverbs, it's it's a little difficult sometimes because a proverb is just that. It's just it's sort of a concise truth. It's uh, you know it's a concentrate, if you will, of, of different principles. And 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 really, uh, most if not all of the book of Proverbs, I'd say the majority of the book. Of Proverbs is about helping us navigate this old nasty world that we live in, and uh, you know if we're not careful as believers in Christ, we'll get we'll get so bogged down with the nasty now and now that we forget about the sweet by and by, and realize that we're citizens of, of a different world. And so, um, but but Proverbs gives us very practical advice and direction. And so this part of the series, um, we have I'm in Romans, golly. There we go. Uh, different series on Sunday, but uh, I'm not going to plug my series anymore because I let John talk last, last week, and so he got the last word in there. But um, anyway, so uh, I, what I'm going to try to do this evening, we're in a, we're in a uh, mini-series, if you will, um, that's, that's entitled Healing the Hurt Spring, and we're talking about how to find healing for our hearts. And so uh, without further ado, look with me in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse number 19. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 19, and what I tried to say three or four times that I never actually completed the thought is that I'm going to try to wrap this series up tonight. Okay, so you guys have till about 9.30, 10 o'clock. We good with that? All right, Tate will be late for worship practice, bud. But uh, look with me in verse number 19. It says, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father... We bow in your presence this evening just to say thank you for the grace that we've been given. Father, you've extended your mercy every day. It's brand new in our lives, and we want to thank you for that. And Lord, tonight we pray that your spirit would guide us as we seek truth, as we desire to be filled with the mind of Christ. I pray that you would enable us to hear your voice. And while doing that, we probably need to shut some things out. And, Lord, so I pray right here, right now, that you would just remove distractions from our minds. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to lay aside even important responsibilities outside the the four walls of this room, that we we could settle in and we could listen and we could bask in your presence. Please speak to us. I pray that you'd give me wisdom. I know that I'm nothing without you. And so I pray that you'd use me tonight as your, as your voice, as your mouthpiece. Please bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started, I feel like I'm going to read you a disclaimer. Can you ever heard a disclaimer for a sermon? I'm going to read you a disclaimer for this sermon. The information presented is the author's opinion and does not constitute any health or medical advice. The content of this sermon is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any condition or disease. All right? Everybody understand that? So I said that, sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, because I feel like in many ways in, in, in the, the realm of Christianity, um, we, have, we have stigmatized mental illness. Um, and we treat it different than we treat anything else, as if, as if every other part of our physical nature, our anatomy, is able to get sick, but the mind can't get sick, right? We've treated every, every mental issue in the Christian life. And I say we loosely, obviously not the people in this room. Y'all are way too smart and way too spiritual to do that. But, but uh, the grander landscape of, of Christendom, I've, I really do, I've, I've observed it personally, and, 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 and at times in my own, in the early days of my Christian journey, I, I, I sort of uh, had this concept, this perception that, that all mental and emotional illness must be spiritual. But we don't do that for the heart, we don't do it for the liver, we don't do it for the lungs, we don't do it for any other part of our physical makeup except for the mind, and I think it's important, and again, I said that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but but it is important to realize not every problem in our Christian life is a spiritual problem. Amen? Those of you who didn't amen, I just assume that you're against me on that. So, I hear what I want to hear. But, uh, but, 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 but I want to say this, because it's important, that, that mental illness is a real problem that in many cases needs treatment just like any other physical ailment. And, and people with mental and emotional ailments shouldn't be treated like second-class citizens in the kingdom. They're not. All right? Amen? Cool. So on the other hand, though, I want to say this. It's also important that we don't sell God short because even our physical struggles even the things that we face in our in our physical makeup in our physical bodies whether it be mental emotional uh, or some other problem that we're struggling with uh, the things that are caused by our own natural deficiencies god can still heal those things right so on the flip side of that let's not pretend like everything needs a pill right uh, and even if it does need a pill, I believe that God can heal it. Now, the conversation as to whether he does all the time is another conversation, another sermon altogether. But but on the same token, I want to honor the fact that, that it's real and people really struggle with it. But at the same time, I, I believe God can heal cancer. I believe that God can heal heart disease. I believe God can heal anything. So just because it fits into what we would call a an emotional uh, deficiency or a mental illness, that it does not mean that God can't bring mending and healing to that person's life, all right? So so we're going to try to dive into the deep end of this subject a little bit. I've spent the last couple, the first couple of weeks, um, we were in the diagnosis phase, which is which is sometimes um, a little bit arduous, maybe a little bit hard to even, even look at and, and take an honest, uh, a, a really an honest examination of our own hearts, and we're going to continue to do that just a bit tonight, but I want to try to get you to... The remedy. So as we dive into this, it's important that that we remind ourselves that that we live in a very depraved and broken world. Okay, you probably don't need to be reminded of that, but 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 we have to we have to remember. And I tell people this very often because as Christians, sometimes we we struggle with the the pains that we have to encounter. We struggle with the disappointment. Sometimes we look toward heaven and say, "Well, where where are you, Lord?" Where are you in my hurt? Where are you in my emptiness? Where are you in my disappointment? And the fact is, God is here. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but this ain't heaven. Right? If this is heaven, I'm disappointed. You hear me? I mean, this, this is not heaven, and it's important that we remember that. And, and, and things, frankly, aren't getting any better in this world until Jesus comes and sets things straight. And so, so here's why that is important. That's, that's the, here's why that little transitional statement is, is important to this subject. It's important because this series is not about solving all the world's problems. Yeah? I mean, it's my series. I can say what I want about it. But again, I say that because uh, as Christians, we are, we are good. I'm talking expert-level good at identifying evil. We're great at calling out the darkness. We're good at cursing the darkness. We're good at screaming and hollering about it, holding signs and waving banners and all that stuff. We're good at identifying the evil in the world, but the problem is I don't have any power over that. And if you have even a smidgen uh, of a control freak in you, like I do, if you don't, if you don't recognize where, where you end and where other people begin, you're going to drive yourself insane. We have to understand that that we don't have power over this world. And one of the truest statements that we need to focus on in verse number 23, which is our our subject matter, where it says, Keep your heart. Stop. That's it. Keep your heart. I can't affect change in anybody but me. We don't have the power to manipulate or dictate the world around us. Right? Right? I don't have the power to, to dictate the narrative. I can't control what's going on outside of, of my reach. The only thing God has given me the delegation, the only thing God has granted me the stewardship of, is my own heart and, my, and, the, and the heart of my family. And so when it says keep your heart, that God is speaking to what is within your power. God's not asking you to control circumstances outside of your ability to control, but he does say keep your own heart with all diligence because out of it flow all the issues of life, and that is what will make you or break you as a believer. If we don't learn what it means to guard and protect our own hearts, think about it. We, we looked at this verse briefly last Wednesday. Proverbs chapter uh, 23, verse number 7, rather, says, says, As he thinks in his heart, say it with me, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. We're not going to go back through the breakdown of body, soul, and spirit. We kind of dissected that briefly last Wednesday night. But but the reality is, it's, it's how we think. It's how we perceive. It's how we process. It's how we view the world. And we have to begin viewing life. We have to begin viewing circumstances. We have to begin viewing people through the lens that God's given us to look through. And I have to know what it is to guard my own heart, to keep my own heart with all vigilance, with all diligence, because that is what is going to determine the direction of my life as he thinks in his heart. So is he. So is he. You are not the sum total of the circumstances that you've encountered. We have to get rid of this victim mentality. As believers in Christ, listen... Brother, we're not victims. We are victors. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We have to stop living life in defense mode and understand that God has called us to charge the gates of hell. And we're to be on the offense. Listen, hell ought to be scared of us. And yet we live our lives crippled by fear. We live our lives crippled by circumstance. We live our lives by things that we can't control. And we let those things outside of our control control us. As he thinks, (coughs) excuse me, in his heart, so is he. I haven't been breathing very long. I tend to suck slobber down my windpipe. (coughs) But there's only one person in this world that you have complete control over, and it's not even your spouse, and it's not even your children. It's you. And yet we spend the majority of our time trying to treat symptoms when what we should be doing is finding finding a way to administer healing at the source. Think about this. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, and you should probably know this passage, he said, A tree is known by its fruit. Right? A tree is known by its fruit. What we, what we tend to do, and again, I keep generalizing, but I think it's a pretty safe generalization. What we, what we tend to do is we, we spend our life trying to, to pick all the bad fruit off the tree. I'm talking about our lives and the lives of people around us, by the way, but I already established you have no power over that. So in our own lives, what we do is we, we're, trying to, we're trying to pick all the fruit. Oh, that piece is bad, and that's rotten, I want to get rid of that piece. And we're treating symptoms when in reality, it's not the fruit. The fruit is just the manifestation of what's at the root. So we have to get to the root of the problem. It's not a fruit problem, it's a root problem. You know what I'm saying? I mean, coin that phrase. It's, it's what's at the root that, that produces the negative stuff, the toxic stuff that, we, that we're that we embarrassed about, the things that we try to conceal, right? The things that we put makeup on to cover all those blemishes. And we do that. We try to project images to people. We try to, we try to be anything but who we are. Because we're afraid if we let people into our little world, they're going to see that maybe we're not as well put together as we like to pretend to be. I'm telling you, man, look, there's a good reason. There's a good reason. Why, why critics of church people like you and me, one of, the, one of the primary criticisms you will hear about church people is they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I just agree with them. Because I am a hypocrite. And the truth is, so are you. There are two kinds of hypocrites in the world. Honest hypocrites and deceptive hypocrites. I just choose to be honest about it. Because a hypocrite, effectively, is just somebody who's, who's, whose performance doesn't necessarily match their internal principle. And Paul said, here's what Paul said about it. Romans chapter 7, he said, the good that I would, I don't do, and the evil that I don't want to do is what I wind up doing. He said, look, I don't even, whoever said practice what you preach didn't preach a whole lot. Right? Everyone to th- whoever wanted to lob that criticism out? Why well, you ought to practice what you preach. I yeah, you should. In a perfect world, absolutely. But the truth is, I believe a whole lot of stuff that's that's so much higher and more holy than I am that there's no way I'll ever fully attain it in this world. And so we have to come to terms with that, not in a sense of settling into our deficiencies and in our defective nature, but but in a sense of getting very, very honest with who we are so that we can get to the root of the problem. A tree is known by its fruit. So, But herein lies the paradox, and this is where we left off last week. By the way, that was all brand new material. I'm just giving you some overlap in the middle, okay? So here's the paradox that we talked about, and we concluded here last Wednesday night. In order to get to the source of the problem, in order to get to the root, if you will, we have to trace the symptoms, so everything I just said about fruit is 100% true, but, but here's, here's what the problems, here's what the existential or, or, or ex, ex, external, uh, visible, perceivable problems in our lives do, do for us is they reveal that there's a deeper issue somewhere. And so we, we sort of uh, landed last week on the subject of bitterness. The word bitterness uh, is used in scripture as a generic term to describe really a myriad of, of possible heart conditions. And in order to, to to identify the why of toxic behavior, which is ultimately what we're trying to do, is, is, is figure out, man, why do I act this way? <laughs> right? Why am I the way I am? You know what I'm saying? Like, why why do I have a hair trigger? How many how many people in the room, let's just let's go ahead and just take the gloves off, all right? How many of y'all in the room tonight you struggle with with anger issues? Every redhead should raise their hand. I mean, do you ever ask yourself? And again, I could, I could dissect this for a very long time because I'm going to give you something shocker, okay? Prepare for what I'm about to tell you. As a, as a redheaded male, I've struggled with anger all my life. You okay? No? Does that hurt? I know. I look like I have it all put together. But the fact is, who said that? Mike? What's Security! Security! Get this guy. I'm just kidding, Bruce. Oh, call the dogs off. Uh, but uh, but the fact is, we, we've got to stop. We've got to stop just, you know, here's what, here's what we do. When I was a new parent, by the way, if, if you have any questions about parenting, find somebody with their first newborn child, and they'll have all the answers for you. Right? When we were, when we were uh, new to parenting... I, we, let's see we got married when I was 22 years old we had David when I was 24 years old and so as a 24 year old kid I had it all figured out I'd read like 3 books on child rearing and uh, anyway but I remember one time my sister's a lot older than I am my sister's uh, she's 19 years older than I am and uh, one day we were at my sister's house and David was 2 or 3 years old and he did something and he didn't listen to me and I go I remember this because she looked at me like I was a psychopath I snapped my fingers and I said hey obey!" Right? Like, like he's gonna stand there and at attention you Thor. <laughs> what do you want me to do next, sir? But we do that. Like we we think we can snap our hey quit getting mad. Quit throwing fits. Oh it's hollering Stop stop that. Don't do that. And we're trying to dictate and and control things. When the problem is it's not the what, it's the why. We've got to get down to the root of the why. Why do I why do I why do I lose my freaking temper like that? Right? why do i why do I shift from loving Jesus to hating everybody in an instant like where does this where does this hair trigger come from and Of course, I know you probably deal with you know much lesser problems than some of us do, but but we have to get beyond the the what and examine the why and sort of begin to understand where this all comes from because bitterness is is any accurate emotion that manifests when we 're put under pressure. Your spirituality is not defined by how you respond to things when all the elements are, are in line. When the atmosphere's perfect, that that doesn't say anything about your level of spirituality. Your level and my level of spirituality is how we respond to things when we're under the gun. It's that pressure. It's when, we're, it's when we're pressed down. As, as, as the Apostle Paul said uh, concerning his, his missionary travels, he said we were pressed out of measure, above strength. He said, man, he said things got turned up so high that, that we, couldn't even, we couldn't even bear up under the weight of it. And the truth is that's how life is. Life will absolutely knock the wind out of you occasionally, and it's in those seasons when when everything seems to be falling apart that we really begin to see how strong we are spiritually. And so... It's the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So let me, let me summarize the problem. And follow me here, okay? Everybody following me? If you're not listening, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> so try to, try to follow what I'm, what I'm saying to you. We, we tend to let the river of life flow backwards. I want you to think through this with me. We tend to let the river of life flow backwards. And and, and consider what Jesus said. In John chapter 7, verse number 38, he said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me. How many all believe in Jesus? Right. Hopefully at least 96% of you. But Jesus said if we believe in him, his word, the scriptures, have professed that out of my heart, out of your heart, should flow rivers of living water. That means, and I don't want to get into the quantum physics element of it, but Jesus said we really ought to be positively impacting the atmosphere around us. That his spirit ought to be so alive within us, that God's word and his spirit ought to be so alive and at work in our lives that other people are positively impacted by being in our presence. And I said this either last week or the week before, I don't know when I said it, but I'm sure I said it. That that we've all been around some people that just have a, a, a just it's like a gift. They have a gift, if you want to call it that, of just absolutely sucking the life out of a room. Don't look to your left or right. Don't make eye contact with anyone. <laughs> but, but we've all known people like that. Like when they walk in, we you know with the just sort of the proverbial eye roll. Like oh geez, gosh, don't we? And, and I'm not being unkind. I'm sure we've all been there at some point in our lives when that that's who I that's, that was me. Right? I was the one who walked in the room. People go oh geez, here we go. You know, negative Nancy again. Everything's always, the glass is always half empty. Right? Jesus said, really, it ought to be the opposite. For Christians, people ought to see us coming. And I I, I get this, okay? I'm saying this within reason. but, But especially other believers ought to be blessed and enriched just by being around us. I know that sounds crazy. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, out of your belly, out of your heart, shall flow rivers of living water. So... Again, this is why I said hear me out, because I'm using some, you know, illustrative language here. The proper flow of the Christian life is for the Holy Spirit. Remember the the body-mind-spirit breakdown, body-soul-spirit, rather? Body-soul-spirit breakdown? So think about this. The Holy Spirit, the proper flow for the Christian, is for the Holy Spirit to tell the mind how to process, and the mind tell the heart how to feel, and the heart tell the body how to behave. That's the proper flow. Of the Christian life. This is why the Apostle Paul, again, the 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 trifecta of humanity, is that Paul said, we always say body, soul, spirit, because that's generally how we operate. Correct? We're generally affected by the physical realm around us. And then the physical realm affects our, our mind, which affects our heart, which affects our behavior. And and so here's what Paul said. He said, My prayer is that your whole spirit and soul and body be sanctified until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He flipped the script. He said the natural the natural man, the physical just the just the nature is we generally we operate body, soul, spirit, but that's the for a believer, that's the opposite direction that the river of life should be flowing so again, just to rehearse this, y'all getting it so far like you, you hear okay, I know it's not complicated, but I talk so, so fast sometimes I, I worry but 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 here's the natural or here's the, the the proper flow of the Christian life is that the Holy Spirit should tell the mind, should, should, should speak into us and help us with perspective how to process when something comes our way. We should be listening to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit tells our mind how to process. The mind tells the heart how to feel and the body, or rather the heart tells the body how to behave. Okay? But in general, once again, we operate in reverse. We let the body tell the mind how to process and the carnal mind then tells the heart how to feel and in doing so, we actually are doing what the Bible calls quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. Are you familiar with that language? The Bible says, quench not the Spirit, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. When we operate in, in reverse order, when we when we let the, the river flow in reverse of what God designed, when we do that we are quenching, we're grieving the Holy Spirit to the point that we can't now we can now not hear the voice of God's Spirit. We've gotten so tangled up and we've gotten so so blown out of, uh, of order and, 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 our, and our perspective has been thrown off by all the stimulus on the outside. And man, that aggravated me and that ticked me off and I don't like what she said and he looked at me funny and this thing and I don't... Man, my bank account and my job and my boss and my car and my house and my roof and, and we get all these external things telling us how to feel. And that, and that gets everything all so backed up. And, 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 and honestly, it's a, it's a perversion of the design that God put in us as born-again believers because we're supposed to be allowing, we're supposed to essentially be getting our physical nature out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can properly work in and through us. That's why the Bible says things like if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Right? It doesn't mean as Christians we don't have principles. You should be principled. Amen? Christian people ought to be principled. We don't believe in situational ethics. I'm not going to get in a situation, see how I feel, and then make a decision. I'm going to have principles in my life that guard the parameters of my heart and and, and all those things, but that's absolutely 100%, admittedly, a rabbit trail, so let's get back on point. (laughs) Okay? But The Bible says if we're led by the Spirit... We're not under the law. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't have laws that govern us. But the law was given, if you just want to break it down, if you just want to psychoanalyze why God gave the law, the law was given to bring order to our our physical nature. Don't commit adultery. That's a law binding our physical nature. Don't commit murder, which sounds like an easier command than it actually is sometimes. Right? No? No? The only violent one in the room. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep confessing my own sins, even if you don't join me. Don't 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 lie. Don't steal. Don't steal. Right. All those things were given. Those those laws were given to to govern. Really, the the, the radical rebellious nature of who we are. So this is why the Bible says if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You don't need a law to govern your physical nature when your physical nature is being governed by the Holy Ghost of God who wrote the Scriptures in the first place. The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you to commit murder. Right? The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you into immorality. The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you into extortion or dishonesty. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you into any sort of evil. So if we have the flow going in the right direction... No, we don't need a checklist. We don't need by slapping us on the back of the hand when we get out of line because the Holy Spirit is the one who is governing us when we follow the proper order that God has placed upon us. Man, good night. We've got 45 minutes. That's awesome. Don't look at your watch. I, I do want to try to wrap this up tonight, so bear with me. Give me about... You guys got 15 minutes? I got 6.48. You got 6.48? Well, we got 12 minutes at least then. All right. So... One of the greatest geographical illustrations of, of this truth is, uh, is a little place just south of Jericho, Jericho called the Dead Sea. Everybody's familiar with the Dead Sea. By the way, we're going to Israel, Lord willing, next June. We're going to visit the Dead Sea. I'd love for you to go. Tell you more about it later. I don't even know why I threw that out there. But here we go. But this is an amazing illustration so 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 there are several very interesting facts about the Dead Sea But I, I want to just name a few to, to help us understand this concept uh, A few things about the Dead Sea first of all the Dead Sea is the lowest point on Earth Did you know that it's 1400 feet below sea level It's the lowest point on Earth It's also the same region of Sodom and Gomorrah again other very interesting facts surrounding the Dead Sea It's one of the most interesting geographical locations in the world that I've been to which is not saying much but anyway I've been a few places, but it's, you know, uh, but it's the lowest point, 1,400 feet below sea level. It's a low place to be. Uh, it's very rich in minerals. In fact, it's 10 times saltier, more saline than, uh, than, than regular seawater, which means even though it's rich in minerals and people do go there just to soak and, and you, you don't swim, you float in the Dead Sea, right? You can't sink technically in the Dead Sea, but, uh, but because it's so rich in minerals, such a high concentrate of, of minerals. But the problem means, that also means on the flip side, even a few gulps of Dead Sea water will most likely kill you. Right? You can't drink it. Um, absolutely nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It can't support plant life, it can't support animal life, it can't support aquatic life. It is dead and it produces death. So, so here's the question that we should be asking. Why is the Dead Sea dead? It's a good question. Remember earlier I said we're always trying to identify the what, we should get to the why. So the right question here is why is the Dead Sea dead? And the, and the answer is this. The Dead Sea is dead because it only has inlets. Did you know that? The Dead Sea has no outlet. There's no stream that flows from the Dead Sea. Anything that flows into the Dead Sea stops at the Dead Sea. And so in other words it's constantly being fed but doing no feeding. It's constantly receiving but never giving. Maybe this is why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because we have this this example. This 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 just just this brilliantly bold example. Of 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 what the Christian life looks like when all we do is sit, soak, and sour. All we're doing is receiving and never giving. I want to say this to you because we could we could take this illustration in a, a, a very different directions. But let me just simply say this to make this point: You were not created to be a receptacle of abuse, of pain, of disappointment, of heartache. And Jesus can transform the bitter waters into a spring of life again, but you have to be willing to open up. You have to be willing to open up and let your heart feel again. And so here, let me finish with this. Okay, I'm really trying to cram a lot in because I told myself, self, we're going to finish this miniseries tonight. All right? I've only got three months with you, so we've got to get through it. Jesus in John chapter 4, you'll know the story. He meets a woman... That uh, really society had given up on and, and, and she probably if we knew the whole story had given up on herself it, it really seemed that way And it's one of my favorite stories in the bible Where we understand jesus in his journey being the sovereign god that 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 is and was and is to come It says this about christ in his in his travels It says he told his disciples. I must need go through samaria. I need I need to just take a little detour Jesus knew there was a divine appointment. There was a little lady that would be there that day. And so it tells us that he sat there on Jacob's well. And as he was sitting in the heat of the day, a woman approached him to draw water. And Jesus, being a Jew, said to this Gentile Samaritan woman, he said, give me a drink. And she said, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Gentile, for a drink of water? And Jesus simply said, if you would have asked of me, I would have given you living water. Now think about what happens next all right here's to me this is this is one of the most interesting parts of this story. Jesus said, "If you would ask me, i'd give you living water." she said What's that mean? She, he said, well, if you drink of this water uh, in this well, Jacob's well, this physical well, you're going to thirst again. You're going to keep having to return. You're going to keep finding yourself dehydrated and dry, and you're going to have to continually return to this point, and, and you'll eventually discover yourself being disenchanted with all that the world has to offer because you keep having to try and draw water in the same place. that's only producing more thirst. But if you would ask of me, I'd give you water, wherein if you drink, you'd never thirst again. Now, we would have written her name down at that point on a decision card. Okay? That's so what we do. Take her name down. What's your phone number? You're on Facebook. What's your email? Because here's what she did immediately. Jesus said, if you asked me, I'd give you water. If you drink of it, you never thirst again. She said immediately, give me this water that I thirst not, right? Why not? <laughs> Makes good sense. I mean, if I can take one more drink and be done... Maybe I can stay drunk for the rest of my life? One more drink? I don't think that's anyway. Another story, water and wine. Anyway. But she said, if you yeah, absolutely, I'll take it. And again, that's the point. We, man, we'd have, we'd, woo, man, she made a decision for Jesus. But here's what Jesus did. It seems harsh if you really pay attention to what, <laughs> what took place. He said, uh he said, go call your husband. She said, uh, <laughs> Well, uh, uh, I don't have one. He said, yep. You've had five. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband either. Now, she did what we all would do. She put on her religious facade. And she began to expound theology to Jesus. This is hilarious. Well, you Jews, you know, you worship at Mount Moriah, but... We Gentiles, we know the right place to worship, and our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And she begins to explain her religious background as if that meant anything to Jesus. And Jesus, standing there that day, got her effectively, now this is what happened, Jesus got her to face her real problems. He wasn't picking on her, he wasn't being unkind, he wasn't saying divorce is the unpardonable sin. Again, although we've stigmatized that in church culture. He wasn't beating her up. He wasn't being unkind to her. Jesus doesn't have an unkind bone in his body. He's the epitome of grace. And yet he knew in order for her to find healing, she had to get real. In order for her to be able to really drink the living water, she had to face... Her real problem and her real problem was that she had uncontrollable desires that were born out of a heart that was bitter and had probably been hurt and abused. But that day, she met the Master and she left her bucket at the well because He gave her that water and she never thirsted again because of the grace that she found in Jesus Christ. Before we'll ever find healing, we first have to get brutally honest. And if I'm being brutally honest... There's no way I can finish my outline. Yeah, I'm trying to just be honest with myself. Let me give you this real quick. Here's the path forward. You're, you ready? Do you seriously have five more minutes? I'm begging you. Give me five more minutes. All right? Not even ask for an offering. Here's the path forward. First of all, I've got to say this, and I've already established it. I hope at least that, that you understand real healing is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Real healing for the soul, for the broken heart, is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. But furthermore, I want to say I'd love for that to be a one and done. One trip and we're forever healed of all our heart's diseases. One trip and we never struggle again. One trip and we never get angry or bitter or, 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 or just inordinate or we never get out of line. But the fact is that's just not reality. Which is why this principle is here. Once Jesus has healed your heart, now the prescription is keep your heart with all diligence. Jesus has brought healing. Jesus is the healer. But the the reality of the Christian life is, I don't know how y'all are, okay? Because a lot of this is related to forgiving those that have hurt us and letting go of past hurt, right? We talked about some of that. But if you're anything like me, and I pray to God you're not, but most Of the things in my life that have hurt me, most of the people in my life that have hurt me, I've had to make several trips back to the foot of the cross to say, Jesus, I picked that thing up again. And what I thought I let go of and what I thought I laid at your feet, I carried it with me. And I'm angry again, and I'm hurt again, and I'm broken again. I need you to heal me again. So we have to get to the point that we understand how to guard our own heart. Once Jesus has healed your broken heart, it's up to you to keep it with all diligence. Let me, let me give you this real quick, and we're done. First and foremost, or rather second, that's first. Second is it, it takes intentional focus. Okay? You're never going to do this on accident. It's never just going to happen. Notice verse number 21. Verse 21 says, Do not let them, speaking of the the precepts of God, the words of God, don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Look at verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Stop speaking lies. Stop speaking falsehoods. Stop trying to project an image of yourself that's not true. Strip the facade. Take off the mask. Lay down your pharisaical robes. Just get real. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. And perverse lips put far from you. Because, because the words of our mouth are, are very indicative of the trajectory of our hearts. Ouch, O oh me, amen, right there. It's, it's, it's just reality. That's why, that's why the Bible says so much about the way that we talk, the nature of our speech. Our words are, I call it verbal trajectory. The things that we say are indicative of what we feel, what we think. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips put far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Now here's a question that everyone ought to be able to answer by now. Whose heart can I control? Mine. Mine. Here's what he said. Fix your focus. Let your eyes look right ahead of you. Don't get distracted by all the minutiae. Don't get distracted by all the noise. Don't get distracted by all the things. Listen, this world is full of distractions. Right? This world is full of distractions. He says you have to learn how to fix your focus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, hear me out, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you like me. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you criticize me. If I have my eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter at the end of the day what you think about me because my life is not defined by your perception. He said, let your eyes look straight ahead. Get your focus right. Get your eyes set on the right thing. Keep your perspective on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now think about that statement. It said that Jesus, it never says Jesus enjoyed the cross. It says that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured it because he understood that there was a prize to be won at the finish line. And that joy that was set before him was the fact that we could be forgiven and find acceptance through the grace of God and the eyes of God. And he said, so keep your eyes on me and I'll help you navigate through life. I've got great illustrations on that, but what I don't have is more time. Let me give you this last one. Number three, finally, it takes principled action. So first it takes intentional focus. We have to get our minds fixed. You do. There's an essence of, of getting, your, getting yourself mentally focused on the right things. Closing out all the other things. And then finally, it takes principled action. Notice in verse number 26. It says, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established so here's here's the language keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life he says ponder the path of your feet let all your ways be established what's he talking about he's he's explaining to us that in life we have to learn to think downstream you have to learn to think beyond the moment and figure out how to calculate and 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 analyze Not exactly what you're doing now, but what will be the outcome of the choices you're making now. Ponder the path of your feet. Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe I should... Now, here's the beauty that we're learning in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is the principal thing. What do we need to make right decisions? We need the wisdom of God. How do we get the wisdom of God? James chapter 1 says, If you lack wisdom ask of God because he gives liberally to all men and will not upbraid you he won't push you away there's no promise in the Bible that says God will answer every time we ask for money in prayer I'm kind of upset about it too but I've combed the scriptures for 23 years and haven't found that promise yet if you find it let me know the Bible doesn't promise us comfort the Bible doesn't promise us healing but the Bible does promise every time we pray for wisdom, God will give it to us. I'm telling you, I have tested that theory. I've tested it over and, over and over. And every time I've asked God for wisdom, guess what I've received? Every single time. Every single time. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't think about exactly what you're doing now. Think about what, where what you're doing is going to lead you tomorrow. Where it's going to lead your family tomorrow. Let's all stand. I've taken up too much time tonight. Thank you so much for being attentive. We're going we're gonna to just dismiss. We won't have any music. Let me give you this announcement very quickly. Uh, there is a, uh, right now, in fact, uh, <laughs> a meeting for any of the parents or teens going to Super Summer. So we leave this coming Monday to youth camp, um, and so that meeting is in what we're calling the youth room, the old sanctuary over here at 10 after 7, which is uh, in like two minutes. Okay. So, again, thank you all so much for your your kindness and your presence tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you've done in our lives. I pray that you'd help us not to just be hearers of the Word, but, God, that we would put to practice the truth and the principles that you have not only spoken to us in black and white, but, God, you've illustrated and given us insight and, and understanding in so many different ways. I pray that you'd use our time together to glorify your name. I pray that you'd strengthen us. And Father, redeem the lost around us. I pray that you would call uh, those lost sheep home. And Father, do a work that only you can do. We give you the glory throughout the ages in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.